Welcome to Slaying the Sale, a podcast full of practical real-life sales lessons that you wish you learned in business school. Your host, Kyle, is a two-time best-selling author, creator of the Slaymaker Method, and in each episode, he and his guests will be answering the tough questions around sales, lead generation, and all things business to help you transform your sales mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Kyle Slaymaker. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slaying the Sale. I am your host, Kyle Slaymaker. I'm sure you know me by now, and you're probably tired of hearing me say that every single episode. So uh, at this point, deal with it. Anyway, okay, we are very excited. This is not a solo episode. This is another guest interview episode, and I love these the best because I love learning about the people that we have on the show, and I love the value that they bring to you, the listeners. Uh, We have a rock star of a guest. So I'm going to briefly introduce her, and then I'm going to kick it over to her to introduce herself, because I'm sure she can do a much better job than I can. Uh, But I want to give a little bit of a backstory as to why I am bringing this person on. So we run in the same circles, not in Apex, but in the Battlefield Mastermind run by fellow Apex member Matt Rota. Uh, And I immediately knew I had to have her on when on the very first call, which no, not to toot my own horn. I was the first featured speaker there. Uh, but she was sitting on her back porch, smoking a cigar, drinking a bourbon. <laughs> and I was like, fuck yes, she's coming on. I have to get Christina on. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce you to best-selling author of Money Girl, How You Can Attract Wealth and Nurture Your Soul and Obtain Financial Freedom, the one and only Christina Deal. Christina, take it away. <laughs> I'm glad that that I remember so many people were doing like 75 hard or trying to not drink that month. And there I am just like sitting there chilling with my bourbon. So, so I'm glad that that didn't, you know, knock me off the list of podcast guests. <laughs> no, no, I, I, re- I require bourbon drinking. Perfect. Great. Um, yeah. So thanks for that intro. Um, I guess a little bit about me. I just, you know, I'm a real estate agent, but I've also always been very uh, into learning about money and how money can work for you and, and create financial freedom. And, and now um, I'm just kind of very passionate about making sure that other people get that same, you know, education and information about money, um, you know, earlier in life to, to help set up, you know, the next generation for financial freedom uh, instead of, you know, a, a life of living in credit card debt and student loan debt and things like that. So that's me. Fun, fun. Don't don't sound so enthused about yourself. <laughs> it was going great. Then at the end, you're like, and that's, that's me. about it. <laughs> that's what you get for me. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, first off, I mean, obviously, we need to touch on the fact that you wrote a book, you became a best selling author. Yeah, right? that's a huge brand builder, a huge credibility Man. booster. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that everybody does, right? Ooh. There's a lot of fear around it. Right. Everybody thinks mm-hmm. that writing a book is this daunting task. They, oh, I sucked in English class in school. Can I really <laughs> write a book? Um, so kind of take us down that journey. Yeah. You know, what what made you want to write a book? It is daunting. I would say it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm I'm glad it's over. <laughs> so I never ever thought I would be an author. I've never considered myself a good writer. Um, it wasn't, you know, a lot of people have that on their bucket list that they want to write a book. And that was never even something that was on my radar until, um, you know, a few years ago, I think I really started to notice more and more people around me and even just 
people I don't even know, uh, feeling the same way about like, I wish I knew about money earlier in life. And because I had gotten myself to a point of financial independence through making smart money decisions, you know, starting back when I was 10 years old and, and had just gotten to, into a place where I was really reaping the benefits of making those good uh, financial choices. And at the same time, noticing like, oh, other people are just realizing that they have to, you know, dig themselves out of debt or start being more intentional with money if they want to be able to create that wealth for themselves. And it really made me kind of reflect on like, why do I know this stuff? And, and it seems like a lot of people around me don't. And I realized, oh, my, my dad gave me a really strong, good financial education from the time that I was little that I kind of just took for granted because you don't realize when you're a kid that you're learning something that maybe other people aren't. So, so really started to think, man, someone needs to write a book. Someone needs to get this information, you know, to, to high schoolers, teenagers uh, earlier in life before they, they make the, the mistakes that they don't even realize they're making when it comes to money. Um, so I'm just thinking, yeah, someone else should do that because I'm obviously not ever writing a book. And then I don't know. I just, after a while, I was like, man, I bet my story could help, could, could really resonate with some young people and show them, um, you know, what, what you can do if you're just intentional with your money and if you know how to use it and things like that. So hired a book coach. Um, and that's kind of what really got me like a kick in my ass to start sitting down and, and plugging away at writing. Um, to have the accountability of someone else, you know, making you turn in chapters. And then just really, I don't know, for about two and a half years, I would just try to sit in, you know, cafes or at my dining room table uh, where I'm sitting right now and, and just kind of write, 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 you know? Um, it, was, it was really, really hard. But I think when you have um, a subject matter that you feel so strongly about, then, then anyone can sit down and write a book. If I can do it, anyone can do it. I say that about myself too. Like I still look, look back and I'm like, oh my God, I, I wrote two best-selling books. Let alone, you know, just the fact that I did one was amazing to me. Um, yeah. So here's the, here's the million dollar question. Walk us through, because this is not a question that I've asked anybody else on this show. And I've had a few best-selling authors, both New York Times best-selling authors and Apple best-selling, Amazon best-selling. Um, what, what did it feel like when you saw that you hit bestseller? <laughs> um, it was a great feeling because it was suddenly just like, okay, I'm finally done. Like that was kind of the last step <laughs> in, in getting the book to completion, you know, like loading it up onto Amazon and everything and, and seeing it printed out, let, you know, that's, it's all well and good. But uh, on the day that we actually launched it and then seeing that come through, you know, and you have that, that plaque or, you know, that kind of sticker looking thing that goes on each book from then on, it's, it's just like, wow, it was just kind of like, I could, I could relax then. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Like, so the, the Amazon algorithm is so tricky and fast when it comes to, to bestsellers, right? Like mm -hmm. both of my books, each of it bestseller in multiple categories, nice. but I was ne I never looked at the right time to snag that badge. I either looked like when it was in the number two spot and then when I looked again, it was, it hit one, it showed me a peak. And then I missed the badge and I was like, Ugh. so oh, one no. of these times I'll, I'll like time it perfectly to where I can get the badge, but all any of the clients that I've had that have written books, they all managed to get the badge like perfectly right there. 
Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, I was smart though. So I, I still took pictures of, you know, the category rankings and everything like that. So that way I could at least have the proof to back it up. Right. Um, so the the money management, the financial side of things, Christina, mm-hmm. is is that your your main squeeze or is it the real estate? Or is the real estate just kind of, you know, what you're passionate no. about too in the meantime? Real estate's my main squeeze. I've been inter- interested in it since I was a little kid, ever since my dad taught me about the difference between owning property and renting property because he was a landlord. And um, I got to see firsthand, you know, people paying him to live in his property um, and him being the one that's collecting the money and having someone else pay for his mortgage. And so I always wanted to be in real estate and I still love it. I, I just, it makes me so happy helping people make that um, you know, strong step towards a you know good financial future by just investing in real estate. Um, because you know, you're gonna have a housing expense every month, regardless. It might as well be, you know, building your own equity as opposed to your landlords. But with you know, I'm not I'm not a certified financial planner or whatever that you know title would be. I don't help necessarily people manage their money. What my mission is now is to to help get common sense, you know, money education into the hands of kids. And it can be as simple as, you know, I was raised that you never spend more than you make, which seems like a really simple common sense comment or, or piece of information. But unless you are really told that, and you understand that from the time that you're young, you fall into the trap of living on credit cards, you know, and that's, if you're if you're running up a credit card bill that you can't pay off in full every month, then you're technically you're spending more than you make. You're living outside of your means. And so I feel like I, I interviewed a few people, you know, just in in preparation for writing my book and everything, and learning about how many people honestly did not know what they were getting themselves into when they opened up their credit card in college. And then, you know, suddenly wake up and have, and they've maxed it out at $10,000 and they're thinking like, how am I ever going to pay this off? Um, I feel like if, if more people are just aware of how credit cards work and what they, you know, how they can be just detrimental to your future, then people would be safer with them and, and take living within their means more seriously. So, so that's what just helping people learn to live intentionally with their money and understanding the implications of what money can do um, is, is what my passion is right now. That's, that's amazing. It's, it's perfect. I know there's so many different, um, you know, schools of thought out there when it comes to money management, wealth building, stuff like that, especially with credit. Um, and we'll touch on that here in a minute. I mean, I, I can tell you, like, I was somebody who was never really taught to be um, intentional with their money. Right. And it's, it's something that I still struggle with to this day severely. Like my wife, would be, if, if she was home, she'd like scream down and be like, he's right. He's absolutely right. It's annoying as shit. And you're um, like most people in that regard. That's normal. Yeah. yeah. So like, and for, for like me, and I'm not, I don't, I don't try to like blame shit on my past or anything like that. Um, but like my, my grandfather was a truck driver. My father was a truck driver and then started his own business, became owner operator, came into some really good money. And we had a great life growing up. We had boats, we had four wheelers, we took vacations, we did all this stuff because my dad worked his ass off. But my dad went from, you know, that, that lower class upbringing to all of a sudden having, you know, well into the six figures a year Mm -hmm. and 
he asked to spend money to write it off on taxes. So my sister and I, we kept continuously seeing the money getting spent, the money getting spent, the money getting spent. So when you add that dynamic in, it was kind of like me, like when I was in the Navy, I, I didn't have anything. I, I wish I saved. I really wish I did. But back mm-hmm. then my housing was paid for by the government. My food was paid for by the government. My travel was paid for by the government. My healthcare was paid for by the government. So I had no reason back then at 18 with the upbringing I had, I was just like spending money left and right. Um, But yeah, so there's, there's so many different schools of thought and so many different Mm -hmm. philosophies um, when it comes to wealth management, money management. Like you think of the big names like Dave Ramsey, you think of, which is, it's always funny because the people that I follow, not necessarily for money management, but um, one of my coaches, Ryan Stuman, who runs Apex is like, the biggest thorn in Dave Ramsey's side because he calls Dave Ramsey out on almost every single post that he makes. And he's like, (laughs) it's, it's one of those things. And he's the guy that's like, okay, so you tell everybody to get rid of credit cards, but you accept credit cards to pay for your stuff. You tell people. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you tell people to do this, but if they're running a business, there is absolutely no way they can do that. Like you're, you're only focusing on all these huge outlying people Mm -hmm. when the most general people that follow you are taking decades to get your stuff to work and get out of debt and he just calls them out and calls them out and it's amazing ryan's got his own big thing called the 21 rules of money which are fantastic um nice but it's interesting that you brought up the credit cards because as a business owner you know there's this push to Mm -hmm. you almost need that capital to come in and you need that credit to be able to build build and build but it's Mm -hmm. important to make sure you balance it out so from right. a business owning standpoint, what are your thoughts? So I like Dave Ramsey for a lot of reasons, even just for the average person, I think not living in debt, people that are, aren't ever going to start businesses or oh yeah, he's great. invest in real estate. Yeah. It's, it, it makes sense that, you know, you have a sense of freedom if you're not worrying about where your mortgage payment's going to come from every month. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't talk to, or, um, you know, even espouse the benefits of good debt, which is like what you're talking about, debt that is actually making you money. Most people live in consumer debt, bad debt, things that are just taking money out of your pocket. But if you are going into debt to acquire assets that are not only paying for that debt, but giving you a rate of return on top of it, that's that's next level. That's where everyone should be at, but they have to first yeah. kind of get out of debt in, other, in order to get that you know, chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm very, I'm very fortunate because at, at this age at 35 college educated, I, I rent, I don't own right now, but my debt is under $10,000 nice. under now I have a wife who has chronic health issues with Crohn's disease and everything. And she's got all these medical bills that we're chipping away at. Right. So I look at it like I'm very fortunate, but we have to get rid of that, that huge debt, which just seems like because of her medication even with insurance it was it's insane um but so so your book i mean it it covers stuff like that right and i haven't been fortunate enough to read it yet because we really just started talking Mm -hmm. um so yeah what what goes on in the book i think it's important just one other like push further with the whole you know having debt thing um I have, you know, throughout the years, I've acquired several rental properties for myself. That's passive income that, you know, just, I make money without even getting out of bed. Um, but what I've done throughout the years is like, um, 
you know, I'll buy a property and then I'll be like, you know what, I'm not going to buy another one until I pay one of them off. And then I'll, you know, work for a year or however many, like a couple months or something to just like get rid of that mortgage. So now that's, you know, $900 a month that I no longer have to worry about paying, even though the tenants were paying it all along. Now the, the net income from that property is, you know, the entire rent minus taxes, um, as opposed to the rent minus whatever my expenses are being the mortgage. So, and then I'll go and I'll buy another property and then I'll pay off another one so that I'm always kind of being very mindful, even though it is good debt, I'm always being mindful that I'm not going into too much debt because that can still, that can be scary. What if your tenants start not paying or whatever, and then you still have this whole debt load that you have to worry about. That makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. I mean, it's a um it, it's it's interesting talking to to people on all the different levels that I do, right? Um mm -hmm. uh I will say an acquaintance of mine, not necessarily a friend, we're friendly. Um Brandon Brittingham is the number one real estate agent for Long and Foster down in Maryland, and he's the number two for Long and Foster in the country. Um, and he owns I mean, I want to say it's some astronomical amount of doors for rental properties and, and stuff like that. I think it's awesome. like 48,000, I think. Ooh, wow. That's um, awesome. I, I think I could be overstating. I could, I could be mistaken with his business partner. Um, but he just started a basically like an Airbnb investment um, company. I can't remember what it's called, uh, but his dividends are just like astronomical. And there seems to be a huge focus on, the Airbnb is like, like my business partner mm -hmm. with my app. He bought a stunning property down in Portugal. I mean, just nice. beautiful. And he's doing Airbnb. And he said within mm -hmm. a month, his Airbnb mortgage or his Airbnb paid for his mortgage the rest of the year. And oh. it's just like, holy hell. Like, I believe God, it. Why? It's, yeah, I bought, I bought an Airbnb in Florida. Um, yeah, I saw you post about it. That yeah, Ryan's, a few months ago. Ryan's managing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, man, had I known the return that you can get on an Airbnb sooner, I would have dived into that way sooner. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah, that's that's what um, most of Brandon's properties, I think, are, are Airbnbs. Um, nice. I have another buddy who's starting a, it's like an Airbnb. He wants it to be like a subscription box service to where he handles all the toiletries and you know stuff that an Airbnb would need to really operate on a recurring basis. That way it Very takes cool. out the middleman. Yeah. Yes. Um, so when did you get your first investment property, your first rental property? Well, so the way that I did it, I knew that, um, that the first house that I was going to buy, it was going to be something for me to, to live in. And I wanted to do it intentionally to make sure that it could easily be turned into a, a rental property at some point. So, you know, I grew up in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. And, um, when I started looking for my first house, I, I was looking in downtown Lancaster because at that time it was way more affordable, easily turned into rentals, just all that stuff. And I'm thinking like, eventually, of course, I'll move back to Lydda. It's like, I'm only doing this because I want to buy something cheap that can be an investment at some point. Um, little did I know, I fell in love with Lancaster City. And so I'm, you know, still here. But I, at one point, after I lived there for a couple of years, found, you know, my a home that I was actually excited about buying my forever home in downtown Lancaster. And so I moved to that and then kept the, um, the rental, the house that I was living in as a rental. So that's how I got my first rental property. It was by design. It was very intentional that that's how I was going to do it. But 
um, it was, it wasn't just some random property property that I bought as a house that I lived in and then turned into a rental. And then, um, after that started thinking, okay, I need to buy multi-units. I don't just want to buy, you know, single family homes. And, um, so yeah, just started, started looking for like a two unit, you know, nearby ended up, um, using, I think for that first one, I used equity that I had in my primary residence to help with the down payment of that two unit, because once you're buying two units, you need, you know, 25% down, as opposed to when you're buying a house for you to live in, you might need like 3% down. So it's easier to, you know, live in a house first and then turn it into a rental. Once you start buying them on their own, it's, it's a lot more money up front, but yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to press you here. And I, I don't know, cool. I'm, I'm going to date myself uh, because I don't know when I'm going to be airing this episode, but the question that I, I love asking, because we're, we're getting ready to be in the market to buy. Uh, mm-hmm. We've rebuilt our credit. Um, you know, we've got money coming in and obviously the housing market has been a seller's market, mm-hmm. not necessarily yes. a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. And every real estate agent I talk to minus maybe two or three, have said the market will never crash. It's really going to pretty much plateau and stay the same. And now here we are as of today, and we are, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, we are in a recession. Mm -hmm. So do you see housing prices going down? Because all the realtors that have told me no, I'm looking Mm -hmm. at right now, like getting ready to send texts like, hey, dickhead, you were clearly wrong. So what are your thoughts? This this will be interesting to see how this ages. and I wouldn't, you used the word never. You said they, they said that it'll never crash. Um, obviously there's always, you know, crazy circumstances that can happen and just take over an entire, you know, economy and, and we have no, <laughs> you know, power over it. I don't see this, this housing market crashing. No, I don't. Because um, even we've made it through as a country, we've made it through tons and tons of recessions where housing prices have continued to increase. We are seeing them start to increase at a slower rate. They were just going, you know, crazy, exponentially high for a while there for the past couple of years. And so now it's starting to level off and people are like, oh no, what's happening? Um, I also think that people our age and even, you know, older and probably even a little younger that are able to remember uh, you know, what happened in 08, 09, and 10, and even then through, you know, 2012, um, they think that that's the natural thing that follows, um, like, uh, crazy, like, prices just escalating so quickly and, and getting so high, they think, oh, well, then it has to crash down. No, that happened once. You know what I mean? That happened one time, and it happened to be in our yeah, lifetime, that, so that's the only reference that we have. That was such a different circumstance absolutely right it was such a different scenario because yeah everything was just so insanely overbloated banks were lending to people that they had no business getting giving loans to and and it's it's the economy it's just that that bubble they were crappy loans to crappy people they were you know things that were a low interest rate to start and then five years from then the real interest rate kicks in and they were given to people that had no business getting those loans in the first place so then when the actual payment kicks in five years later all these people were like oh i can't afford this and now my home's not worth what what it was when i bought it because it was just it was the perfect you know confluence of all these things coming together at the same time oh yeah but they don't I mean, lend I'm like that saying, anymore we thank, don't have loans like that now 
yeah and we don't have them specifically because of 08 um so the one thing the advice <laughs> is if you're thinking about buying at some point soon homes are only going to get more expensive yes they're expensive now but a year from now it's not going to be any cheaper so the sooner the better yeah i will say thank god for the va <laughs> oh thank you for your service no, um, not yeah, why I said that, but program. I will take your thanks. Thank you. Oh, I know. I just that. have to say um, that because it means a lot. But um, <laughs> but it is a great program. Seriously, I love oh, yeah. that they do that for our veterans. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, and this is for people. Like, I'm going to try to give a lesson to anybody that's listening that may be of the younger age. Now that I'm 35 and can say that, <laughs> um, I know. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes financially, uh, especially with my credit, because I just simply didn't think I had to because I had this false sense of money. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will tell you that trying to get financially straight at 35 is a fucking nightmare. Yep. It is hard as shit. Because I'm the type of guy, like if I see and, and any of you out there that know me well outside of this podcast, you know that if I see something that nobody else would ever need in a million years, I'm going to sit there and be like, I fucking need it. No. I absolutely need it. Oh yeah. <laughs> like 24 karat gold umbrella stand, no use for it. Get that son of a bitch in my living room right now. <laughs> so luckily my wife like kind of like calms me down a little bit. Oh, your poor um, wife. But, <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oh, oh. she's gonna listen to this episode and be like, I love Christina. Like I love her. <laughs> um, but don't make the same mistakes I did. One, read Christina's yes. book. Two, take your credit seriously. It took me a mm-hmm. long time to rebuild my credit. And uh, I think three, go ahead. Yeah, you, you don't need the best of everything. Right. And that's that's basically and- my three rules. I think one of the biggest takeaways for this could be that if you buckle down for, let's say six months, you could put yourself five years ahead of other people that aren't buckling down. If you buckle down for five years, you could be financially independent. Like if you just make the decision, Hey, I'm not going to go buy gold umbrella stands anymore until I have a passive income of at least a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever it might be. But if you just, and here's, okay. So let me give this example. I woke up on my 33rd birthday and realized that I had 11 years left until the time when I told myself I was going to retire. When I was like 17, I told myself I was going to retire at age 44 because that sounded really old at the time. It's not. Um, so anyway, so I was, you know, going through life, making good financial decisions, you know, keeping, not having any debt and, and, you know, saving money and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I wake up on my 33rd birthday and I'm like, holy fuck, I have 11 years to, to make this all happen, you know, build up enough passive income that I don't have to work, replace my, you know, all the things that have to happen for you to be able to retire. I buckled down. And I, I put myself on a budget. I didn't spend any money that I didn't need to spend. Um, saved a whole bunch of money, bought, bought, bought property, 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 got a bunch of them under my belt to the point that, I mean, I've been in a spot for a couple of years now where I could retire, but I'm still just working because I love real estate and I don't really have anything else to do. Um, but that's how quickly it can happen. It probably took me five years of focus. That was it. See, that's, that's interesting too, because like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking of like the natural progressions of my, we'll say adult life from 18 and on. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have that dream of retiring young, 
right? A lot of people have that dream of not working and being able to provide for yourself and have the life that you want. But I also think that you said something very key and interesting. And that's that I just love real estate. I just love doing it. Like I could retire, but I won't. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep going. And that's important too. And I'm wondering if it's easier to buckle down when you realize you're doing what you love or is it harder to do that? And is it harder to do that when say you're in a job that just drains the life out of you? Do you think I that think, plays into it at all? See, that's what I feel like if I had a job I hated, I would have been that much more motivated. But to me, it was, it was the end goal, like knowing that I don't want to have to work. Um, so that's what, what helped me be able to make, you know, the sacrifices and the choices that I did. It was just knowing that I had this goal that I was going to achieve. And I would think, yeah, if I hated my job, I'd probably want to do it even faster, but thankfully I don't. So. Yeah. And I, that literally like that question popped into my head literally as you were talking. Um, yeah. I mean, like, so I, it's interesting to me. I would love to get to a place and I, I'm working to get to a place to where I really could retire whenever I wanted. And that money's going to be there. That income's going to be there, whether it's mm -hmm. through investments, whether it's through property, whether it's whatever, whatever passive income we're starting. Um, how about passive income ideas outside of property for people that may not have the equity to and, and capital to get into property, like say somebody that's mm -hmm. fresh out of high school. Cause you said you started when you were 10 years old, making smart choices. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you recommend? So the problem is I think by and large, what tends to be the easiest and also best return on your money is owning real estate. So it's hard for me to suggest other things. Obviously there's the stock market um, and, you know, crypto forex and and even just investing in businesses um well, i'm, sure, I'm but, sure we're gonna hear somebody chime in about crypto i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure that's gonna go, get me some comments somewhere <laughs> i just think if if everybody by the time they're you know out of high school or if they decide to go to college or whatever but like by the time that they're moving out of their parents house um and I don't mean staying at your parents' house until you're 26, because that's how long you can be on health insurance. I'm saying like grow up and, and move out of your parents' house. Um, they should not be renting. They should be buying either a two unit where they live in the one and rent out the other, or they should buy a house and have their friends move in and rent rooms from them. But in order to be able to buy a house at like, you know, 18 or 20 or 22, you need to start saving up money early on. And, you know, when you get, when kids get their birthday money or they do chores or maybe they start mowing grass or something for the neighbors, that money should be, most of it should be being put aside so that they can go buy a house when, when they're ready to move out and not have to rent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, like, yeah, please, please. By the time I'm they, just sitting here reminiscing of all my screw-ups. <laughs> by the time they see the how easy that money comes in by the time they're living in one side of a rental property or of their house, you know, and the other side is paying the entire mortgage. They're going to be like, wait, I want another one of these. You know what I mean? It, it becomes addictive. Cause it's just like, this is so easy. <laughs> yeah. It's. And again, for anybody out there listening, like, like listen to Christina's advice because it is so, so good. And it's advice. Like I'm literally trying to get to now 
because I made so many poor decisions because I lived for that day. I didn't live for five years from the day. I didn't live for 10 years. If I, I still, like, I struggle hard with impulse buying, like really bad. Um, like Elizabeth and I sat down at, at dinner one night, which we were like, we really got to get serious about our money. We got to get smarter. We got to manage it better. We got the kids. We got to figure this out. Um, so, and ironically, we did it as we went out to eat. <laughs> despite <laughs> despite having like a house full of food of and course. me loving to cook, we were like, we got to get out to eat for this. Um, so we sat down and we we list we went through our bank account for a two month period, and we listed every single recurring bill, mm-hmm. and we're Good. looking at it, and I'm like holy shit we're spending a lot of money and i'm like she's like well what can we get rid of and we just went through and we canceled a ton of stuff and it helped yes but again we're still in that mode of like okay well let's splurge a little bit here let's splurge a little bit there instead of just uh like so one of her biggest things and and i'll know if she listens to this episode because she usually doesn't say anything about the podcast episodes but when she hears what i'm about to say i will know immediately if she heard it Great. so her biggest biggest complaint is my playstation network right so i i have the playstation network so in the very few minutes of a month that i can play a video game i can just jump on find a game in the streaming library and play now it was X amount of dollars a month for a year, right? And of course, if you bought it an annual subscription, you'd save money and you wouldn't have, it would be an extra fifth or like $15 less a month. So after we did that, yeah, yeah. And my dumbass was always paying monthly, like for everything. I, I'm telling you. It adds you, up. It all adds up. It, it yeah. does. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm up for renewal. What do I do? So I looked in the, in the account. And I was like, I'm just going to pay for the year. So I paid it off for the year and I saved like, I was like an extra hundred bucks or something. Yeah. Um, she so, thinks I canceled it. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Guarantee. I, I, I promise I you. I will, know, I will know if she, I will, I will know if she heard this. Cause she's good. I'll, I'll oh, justify so it. I'll, funny. I, I play with the kids. So, um, but yeah, that, that little stuff but, adds up a lot. Well, And here's, I, this was a rule and I'm so glad I did this. And I don't remember when I implemented this for my life. I mean, it was, it's been my entire life. I've never had a subscription. Like I, the people, women buy that fab fit fun box every month. And, and do you hear just, that Elizabeth? Fab fit fun. <laughs> she also has fab fit fun. Uh-oh. She had birch box. She had, yeah. But and to her credit, she canceled them all. I, I literally, I would never, ever subscribe to anything. I finally, I got a Netflix subscription and it was literally because I bought it for my Airbnb in Florida and it could be a tax write-off. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, reward myself with a Netflix subscription. That is so, th- that's like extreme dedication. It makes me sound like a complete consumer whore. But, but- and I get, I get that it's the, the exact opposite of like th- what I was trying to avoid was falling into that. Like all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, there's 200 extra dollars every month coming out of my account because of this subscription, this subscription, this subscription, they add up and you forget that they're there and it's just coming out. And, and so that's awesome that you guys sat down and looked at all that and canceled some of them because some people don't even get to that point. It's, it's so easy. Like, I think another thing that we have to be aware of, especially, I mean, and this is any age group is we are just inundated with mm-hmm advertising and marketing everything like every second I, I can't remember the stats something like 
40,000 pieces of advertising a day directed towards you or some shit like that. Yeah, um, but like, I mean, as a business owner, I get it, right? Because we want to advertise. We want people to buy from us. We want to help as many people as we can. But like listening to you sit here say, I didn't get Netflix until I got it for my Airbnb. Like that's, that's dedication. That's, and that's really serious dedication. I get that that's extreme, but it's, yeah, it's just what worked for me. I, I'm, I'm a very black and white person. There's no gray. So it's like, I have to, I have to make rules for myself and, and that's, it's maybe not for everybody, but it's helped me a lot. And I would say, um, one bit of advice, if I may, for you and Elizabeth and your listeners would be to pay yourself first. Like when you, um, well, let me say pay your future self first, like instead of being like, where did all our money go? We don't have any left to, you know, to set aside for investments or for savings or whatever, set money aside first, decide how much money you're setting aside every month. And then whatever's left over after that and your expenses, that's, that's what you get to go buy fun umbrella stands with. Like you don't get to, to, to be very, you know I mean? to be very clear. I do not have a solid gold umbrella stand. I'm just, envisioning just your house so having clear. all these weird umbrella stands everywhere. Like you collect them. That's just going to be it from now on. Oh my gosh. That's, but you know that's what, I, what mean? I strive for retirement and umbrella stands. That's, <laughs> that's all I need. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting conversation that I guess I never really sat down and had a discussion, let alone now we're, we're live on the air. Um, but like, Money is a huge factor in a lot of divorces. It's a huge factor in a lot of stress, even for single people. So it's so easy to understand why people just kind of sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to have those conversation conversations with kids too. Like this is why it's now kind of, I've been going around to local nonprofits, trying to find opportunities to be able to speak about, you know, the information that's in my book to kids because I get that it's hard for parents to even be like, hey, let's sit down and talk about money now, you know, to educate children. And it, it is, it's, it's very, it's interesting. And again, like you were, you were very fortunate for your mm -hmm. father to teach you like, hey, seriously, you've got to be smart with money. And I'm not knocking my father, or my parents, they all did the best that they could. Mm -hmm. And they had their own specific circumstances growing up that led them to spend like they do and save like they do. Um, you know, but it's, it's just so, it's like a sobering fact, right? Because I, I'm somebody that really enjoys the finer things, right? Whether it's just for status symbol, whether it's keeping up with the Joneses, whatever, there's stuff that I like that is more on the higher end. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates the shit out of me because I'm somebody who is at a level where I should be able to enjoy those things. I should be able to, you know, go get a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. I should be able to go buy that car that I want, but I can't. And the only reason I can't is because I fucked up 20 years ago. It's because okay. I made yeah. poor decisions with my money all those years ago. So now I'm playing catch up. So for anybody out there, I'm sure Christina would tell you this. Uh, don't be like me and don't have to play catch up. Like it's, if I would have just made these little easy mm -hmm. decisions back then, man, I mean, that's, that's yeah. That's exactly why this book, that's why I had to write it because you're saying the exact same thing that I kept hearing over and over again. If I just hadn't made these mistakes, if I had just known, I wouldn't be digging myself out now. So it's, 
Yeah, I totally get it. And you're not alone. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, man. And that's the this thing. is like the second awesome podcast episode I recorded today. And the first one was just oh. as impactful as the second. And I have one more to record today. Man, nice. I'm going to be like all out of, all out of energy by the it's end of this. It's a good Tuesday. This is, it's a very good Tuesday. I think getting to a point where you can, when you can tell yourself or say to yourself, like, yes, I can afford that, but I'm not going to right now because I have a bigger plan. I have a bigger goal. Um, once you do that and you do it enough, it becomes really natural and easier and almost like a game and it's fun, you know, to, and then you have to, you have to reward yourself too. You know, like if you, if you deprive yourself of a couple of things that you want for a while, then when you do hit whatever goal it was that you were working towards, then go buy that bottle of happy to reward yourself and then get right back on track with, with attaining your next goal, you know? Yeah. And again, like, living as impulsively as I did slash yeah and I'll admit it I still do sometimes mm -hmm. um yeah you're you're exactly right like we just gotta we just gotta buckle down because I I know the money that Elizabeth and I bring in and I know that some of this I know some of the income levels that our friends are in and they're in beautiful homes and we're looking around like my god like we could afford that and so much more if we were just smart with our money. So it's okay. like, okay, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're going to be the catalyst. Maybe we'll, I'll get off of here and be like, get your ass mm -hmm. downstairs. We're doing budgeting. I bet three years from now, you guys are going to be in an entirely different spot and it's going to be fucking awesome. I love it. It, 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 it takes, is. It, it takes is. no when time I'm, as long as you commit to it. When you see me pull up to my, my success summit with a Ferrari, you can't say shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll pull, I'll pull up and you'll be like, do you remember mm -hmm. what we talked about three years ago? Full or <laughs> yeah. well, that even that's interesting too. Like, and it's so some I have friends that um, they do like exotic car flipping. So they nice. and they're young. I know young young mm -hmm. people who are doing exotic car flipping, like in their tw early twenties, buying four to six hundred thousand dollar cars, and then they literally turn around. They finance them somehow. And then they turn around and in three weeks, they've made a hundred to $200,000 profit by selling the car. Oh my goodness. It's, it's crazy. Oh, Ryan Stuman, Ooh. the guy that I, I told you about my coach, he had huh. this year bought a Lamborghini SVT. It was a brand new Lamborghini that just came out. And this thing was like highly sought after. Mm -hmm. And he snagged one. And before, before he bought it, he let everybody know. He was like, I'm going to buy this car. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to flip it for at least six figures in a couple of weeks. I, I guarantee it. And we're all watching like, this is incredible. I want to see him do it. Mm -hmm. Picked the car up. And I think he drove it for about two and a half, three weeks and turned around and sold it for at least a hundred thousand in profit. At least. At I love least. that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, oh man. Hmm. It's that, that's the thing. Like there's so much stuff out there that you can do at any age to just, mm -hmm. just farm wealth. By, I mean, it's crazy. I love this story. My 13 year old nephew, um, he's figured out how to kind of like flip sneakers. I, I didn't realize this was a thing, but huge he, market. Yeah. He like, he figured out this whole lottery thing and he, you know, you know, whatever gets awarded these shoes and, um, and then flips them for a profit. And I'm just like that 
he's 13, you know, like I, I had no idea stuff like that existed. So, yeah. There, there was, uh, in my cousin's neighborhood growing up, one of his friends, he was about 11 or 12 and convinced his parents to, to uh, let him play the stock market with their money. Yeah. So they, they opened up like this tiny little investment account for him and gave him like 50 bucks a month. And, and this kid just like, I mean, like a savant, like they said, he turned that 50 bucks into like 15 grand within a month. And they're like, you can manage the rest of this shit. Here you go, kid. Here you go, kid. Here you go. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. It, it's just like, again, looking back, it's like, my gosh, there's all this stuff out there that I could have done that I should have mm-hmm. done. I, I still can. Yeah. But like the money's there. The the exotic car stuff, the the car mm-hmm. flipping, the house flipping, everything out there. You just have to put your mind to it. And, and there's a market for everything now. Yeah. Everything. The sneaker flipping is a massive industry. That's so crazy. Yeah. I yeah, I had no idea. I remember um it's, it's it was before the YouTube well, I guess I God, I really am old. Like, cause I'm thinking like before YouTube, I'm like, that shit's like 25 years old. So we're going to not stop dating myself. Oh my um, gosh. I know, I've got five years on you. You seem like a baby to me. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, but like, there's, you see stories all the time of these kids in like middle school and grade school that are just like, I'm going to, there was a story of a, of a girl who I think was like eight and she started making I want to say it was like bottle cap necklaces for her class. And she just kept going with it and going with it and going with it. Her mom was like, oh, you should put this online. So she started on eBay and then just never stopped. And by the end of her high school career, she was like, I I have to look it up. I think it was, she had at least a seven figure net worth. Just, just from doing these little things. I want to see if I can find it. Tell another story while I search. Hmm. Let me think. (laughs) Uh, It's got to be something. All right. How about, how Sorry. about worst, worst purchase you ever made? Worst purchase. I don't make, that's the thing. I analyze every single purchase that I ever make. I'm so, I guess I'm anal about that. Um, no, nope, I'm sorry. Never, never I, a bad purchase. Oh, nothing, nothing you've regretted. That's when impossible. I'm put on the spot. I'm trying to think. Um, no, sorry. I'm sure I could think of something. I'll text you later. <laughs> so here we go. I found it. You, 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 you not giving me a story gave me just enough time. Perfect. This is, this is not her, but this is another one. His name is Antonio Sustil. Grade school dropped out, dropped out in grade school, not high school, grade school. Dropped out, turned 400 bucks into a multi-million dollar business. So he has to be some kind of a genius or something. Has to be. Yeah. <laughs> has to be. But but think about it. Here, like these these stories, they're happening more and more. Yeah. Right? Yeah, with like, technology about, and how small the world is nowadays. Like there's so much more opportunity. I had um I had Brian Cuban on the podcast, Mark Cuban's brother. Nice. And he was one of my first guests. And we were talking and you know, we I focused the whole episode on, on Brian because his story is amazing. Just as talented as Mark, if not, you know, maybe more talented if Mark hears it, I'm sure I'll hear about it. But he 
Yeah, I got an itch on my mustache. That's great. I, I probably looked really great on film. I'm just like, um, <laughs> You're fine. but you know, Mark is one of the is the kind of guy that just doesn't see a way to make money almost anywhere, right? So Ryan was telling me about how Mark used to start, how he really started in Pittsburgh doing like biz or um, baseball card trading. And that was really how he started his first business. And he just kept building and building and building and building to where if it's a fresh idea, Cuban's doing it, right? Like he's doing the, the far, he's literally turning the pharmaceutical industry upside down by offering, um, I can't remember his company, but basically right around the time I had Brian on my podcast, Mark came out with, um, he's basically manufacturing these drugs, like just big, I mean, I guess you really shouldn't say designer drugs when it comes to the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry. Um, yeah. But these, these massively huge drugs and he's offering them at cost. He's completely undercutting the insurance companies. He's completely undercutting the, uh, the pharmaceutical manufacturers and he's, he's taking the world by storm again. And it's all based off of just an idea out of sheer good heartedness. Right. Nice. He's, he's like, if nobody can afford these drugs, I'm going to make them. They're affordable. I'm just going to do it. Right. There is no, mm -hmm. I have to be a genius to do it. Now, granted, Mark's a genius. Right. Um, but it's just the, the moral of this is like, there's so much opportunity out there. Mm -hmm. Like if you're under the age of 30 and listening to this podcast, go do one of the things that we just discussed, go get yep. property. Number one, that's going to be the easiest. Yes. Start your own thing, flip cars, flip shoes, make bottle cap necklaces. I don't give a shit, mm -hmm. but there's there's no reason for anybody to allow their situation to control their finances, if that makes sense. Right? Wow. The money, yes. Yeah. The money can be made. Making the money is the easy part. Managing the money is different. Being smart with the money is different. But making the money is the easy part. I mean, yeah. how would my listeners like to be in Christina's position where even though she alluded to her age, I'm not going to be stupid enough to have her say it. Uh, but she, I'm she 40. can retire. I love it. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 40 and loving it. We're yes. at 40 years old. Christina said it, she can retire. She probably could have retired a few, a year or two, or maybe even more ago, but she just doesn't because she loves what she does, but she's not doing what she does out of stress. She's not doing what she does out of necessity. She's doing what she does because she managed the shit out of her money. And that's, that's important. That's very important. If, if in five years, I'm not sitting where you are kick me in the nuts you will be you better be yeah yeah um, I, I need to be but I think what you said I'm trying to remember exactly how you said it your circumstance should not like dictate yeah your your, your situation money. should not control your wait yeah there we go your situation should not control your money yeah right or, that's, or you dictate just, whatever it is sure yeah I think you you find a way to make it work however you can and just by yeah being responsible with your money making cuts where you have to and and then hustling on the side too yeah it's yeah anyone can do that, it it's so I I look back at my my family right so and yeah we got time um my I have my mom's side of the family my dad's side of the family and my mom and dad divorced when I was very young and she married my now ex-stepfather. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that family had really built some really cool stuff. Uh, my great grandfather on my ex-stepfather's side, he was in Philly or Jersey 
and he was working for a woodworking machinery company. And okay. back th- this is like like World War II time frame, pre-World oh. War II probably. Um, and the guy was going to get out of the business. He was going to sell the business. And he told my great, my great grandfather was like, I'll buy the business. And I hope I get this story accurate because I've heard a million different family members tell it a million different ways. <laughs> so one of them has to be true. Yeah. Uh, but he, he gave him something like 15 grand for the business or something like that. And my grandfather, my great grandfather as a teenager managed to come up with the money and buy the business. Now he built that business very large. Uh, there's a story that the family tells of there was a lot of debt when he bought the business and he went around in Philly and collected. And one of the people that he had to collect from was one of the Philadelphia mob bosses at the time. It was a very well-known mob boss. And allegedly my great grandfather walked up, knocked on his door and was like, you need to give me my money. So he didn't get killed. Otherwise nobody would be there. Right. But the guy, the guy paid up. Um, and they built what back then was known as carpenters machinery into this big, big business mm-hmm. um and then the economy crashed at this point my great-grandfather was down in south beach because where else do you go when you're jewish and need to retire so <laughs> he and i'll never forget my mom used to get so pissed off because we'd go down there and he was like trying to teach me how to handicap the horse races <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I mean i love the guy um so long story short when the economy right before the economy crashed they got into the business of going out to these manufacturer woodworking machinery companies that were going bankrupt and auctioning off their stuff and taking a cut. That way they could still save face. They could still pay investors. They could still take care of their families, but Carpenters was getting a cut. So they did that right around the time of, I think mid to late nineties when they were starting to see some bad economic times. Uh, So everything, I mean, they just skyrocketed, skyrocketed. Right. So my, My great-grandfather, when he passed, had a lot of money, a Mm -hmm. lot of money. Now, my grandfather took the business over and built it even bigger. My ex-stepfather runs it now along with his brother. uh, And they're just – it's just this constant generational wealth because they all were taught how to manage money. Interesting. my my uncle, he's got the new Corvette. He had the Ferraris. He had the Porsches and all this other stuff. And he's just, they're just very smart I with their money. I feel like it can be easy to fall into a trap though of when you have generational wealth and you never have to worry about money, you never actually oh, learn yeah. how to manage it. So it's cool that they had both. Well, well think of the, think like that's that's another good one too, right? Mm-hmm. Because as somebody like you and, and eventually myself who mm-hmm. want to create that generational wealth for our kids and our grandkids and everybody around us, that's a very easy trap to get into, mm-hmm. right? You look at like, I know this is a very extreme comparison, but you look at the Vanderbilts, you look at the DuPonts, you look at the Rothschilds, and some of those families still have just stupid amounts of money. Yes. But look at how that has affected most of the people in that family, in those families. I mean, it's it's crazy. Money can be very right. good and safe, but it also can be insanely dangerous. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so like, whether your family has an abundance of money or not, it's so important to instill strong money habits from a young age. Like it makes all the difference. Yeah. It, it does, man. What a great episode. <laughs> it's, it, it's, who it's doesn't love talking about money. 
that's the other thing too. I want to, I want to change the stigma about people thinking you shouldn't talk about money and that money is evil. No, money is an awesome tool and we should all be talking about it. Oh God. I love you. (laughs) That's I I catch a lot of shit because I, I I do a lot of win celebrating, right? You follow me enough on social media. Mm -hmm. If there's a win, it's getting celebrated. If a client gets a win, I'm celebrating that client's win. I'm not shy about that. And there's a few reasons for that. One, yeah, it's to pat myself on the back and to say, you know, hey, you got this, keep going, keep pushing, keep winning. It's also to celebrate the clients, but it's also to motivate everybody else too, Mm -hmm. because every time I celebrate a win for the 10 people that are like, Kyle's a cocky loudmouth, if there's one person that goes, if he can do that, I can too. If he can do that, I can get to where I want to be. And that's why I do it. And money is the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. You see somebody in a Ferrari, well, they're an idiot. If they can get a Ferrari, I damn sure can get a Ferrari. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, that's what it is. Money shouldn't be scary. It, it shouldn't be, like you said, there shouldn't be a stigma around it. Right. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? How do we shake that stigma? Well, I just try to talk about it as much as I possibly can. I'm hoping my book helps shake that stigma. And, um, and one by one, yeah, I don't know. I just, everyone I talk to, I make it very apparent that I love talking about money and that we should talk about it more. Um, so that's my little part that I can do outside of that. I'm not sure. Well, you, you did a great job today on the podcast. Thank you. I mean, it's again, like for the first time in probably 35 years, Christina, no bullshit. Like, like I want to just sit down with E and be like, okay, let's fucking do this. Like, let's, let's go get this shit. Cause there's no reason we shouldn't be living the fucking life of our fucking dreams at this point and it's only because i, I like a lot of sushi I, I, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's, ri- it's ridiculous oh my mm-hmm. gosh but like, like as a parent like it's for me i always want the kids to to get whatever they want and again i'm so like yeah trust me i'm, I'm paying for it already yeah <laughs> uh i'm so just tunnel focused on the present to where and money's the only issue like if i'm with a client I can totally focus on their future and get them to where they want to be. It's easy. Mm-hmm. If it's Elizabeth, I can totally get her to focus on the future and get her career where she wants to be. Anything. But when it comes to purchases, I'm just like in the moment, in the moment. So okay. we'll see. Well, at least you know that about yourself, you know? Yeah. That's at least you know what you maybe want to change. Oh yeah. That's yeah. part of the battle. So congratulations. You, you've definitely, if, if you've changed one life on this podcast, it's mm-hmm. mine. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure, so I'm happy. sure. Yeah. I should, I'm excited you for be. you guys. So where, where can everybody find you? Well, christinadeal.com is, um, my author website. It's where you can buy the book and just learn more about the book. And, and I blog there too. So there's just some good information, you know, sometimes it's, you know, shareable and whatnot. There's, Uh, My real estate website is LancasterHomeGirl.com. So if anyone has, you know, real estate questions or anything like that, I love talking about real estate too, obviously. So um, yeah. And on Facebook, it's LancasterHomeGirl.com. It's really easy to contact me on there. If anyone ever has questions or money about money or budgeting or anything, just, you know, shoot me a message. Yeah. And, and you guys know anybody on this podcast, you know, I basically have a rule that I want people on that are going to be very accessible. So reach out to Christina. I promise you there's a reason we're in the same circles. It's because we're both, you know, people, people. Um, For sure. So don't, yeah, don't hesitate. Take her up on, on her offer, reach out to her, read her book, uh, read mine too while you're at it. 
Um, but awesome. <laughs> I always got to plug, plug when I can. All right, Christina, thank you very much. And to all of our guests and listeners, thank you for listening this week. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Slaying the Sale. If you're interested in knowing more about Kyle, make sure you head over to his website, theslaymakermethod.com, and pick up a copy of his best-selling books. Then head to Facebook to join his private group, Slaymaker Sales Mastery, to become the number one salesperson in your company. And until next time, remember to keep slaying the sale.